Chapter 18 of The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume 1 by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joyce Martin. Chapter 18 Treats on no fresh matters, but serves to heighten those already mentioned. Mr. Goodman had stayed abroad till very late that night the concert had been performed so was not a witness of anything that had passed after the company came home. But on Lady Mellison's repeating to him everything she remembered, was very well pleased to hear that she had reconciled the captain to him, though extremely sorry that the blunt, ill-judged affection of that gentleman had exposed him to the ridicule, not only of Miss Betsy, but also of all her followers. That young lady, in the meantime, was far from having any commiseration for the anxiety of those who loved her. On the contrary, she triumphed in the pain she gave, if it can be supposed that she, who was altogether ignorant of them in herself, could look upon them as sincere in others. But I am apt to believe ladies of this craft regard all the protestations of love made to them, as indeed many of them are, only as words of course the prerogative of youth and beauty in the one sex, and a duty incumbent on the other to pay, they value themselves on the number and quality of their lovers, as they do upon the number and richness of their clothes, because it makes them of consideration in the world, and never take the trouble of reflecting how dear it may sometimes cost those to whom they are indebted for indulging this vanity. That this, at least, was the motive which induced Miss Betsy to treat her lovers in the manner she did, is evident to a demonstration from every other action of her life. She had a certain softness in her disposition, which rendered her incapable of knowing the distress of any one, without affording all the relief that was in her power to give. And had she sooner been convinced of the reality of the woes of love, she sooner had left off the ambition of inflicting them, and perhaps— have been brought to regard those who labored under them rather with too much than too little compassion. But of this the reader will be able to judge on proceeding further in this history. There were now three gentlemen, who all of them addressed this young lady in the most honorable terms. Yet did her giddy mind make no distinction between the serious passion they had for her and the idle gallantries she received from those who either had no design in making them, or such as tended to her undoing. Impatient to hear in what manner Mr. Trueworth would declare himself, and imagining he would come the next day, as he had made so handsome an apology for not having waited on her the preceding one, she told Mr. Staple and Captain Hytham, in order to prevent their coming, that she was engaged to pass that whole afternoon and evening with some ladies of her acquaintance. Neither the captain nor Mr. Staple suspected the truth of what she said, but the former was in too much haste to know some issue of his fate to be quite contented with this delay. Miss Betsy was not deceived in her expectations. Soon after dinner was over, she was told Mr. Trueworth had sent to know if she was at home and begged leave to wait upon her. Lady Mellison, having a great deal of company that day in the dining-room, she went into an adjacent one to receive him. He was charmed at finding her alone, a happiness he could not flatter himself with on entering the house. He was assured by the number of footmen that he saw in the hall that many visitors were there before him. 
This unexpected piece of good fortune, as he had then thought it, especially as he found her playing with the squirrel he had sent to her the day before, so much elated him that it brightened his whole aspect and gave a double share of vivacity to his eyes. "'May I hope your pardon, madam,' said he, "'for presuming to approach you with so trifling a present as that little creature?' "'Oh, Mr. Trueworth,' answered she, "'I will not forgive you if you speak slight of my squirrel, "'though I am indebted to you for the pleasure he gives me. "'I love him excessively.' "'You could not have made me a more obliging present.' "'How, madam,' cried he, "'I should be miserable indeed "'if I had nothing in my power "'to offer more worthy your acceptance "'than that animal. "'What think you, madam, "'of an adoring and passionately devoted heart?' "'A heart,' rejoined she, "'oh, dear, a heart may be a pretty thing, "'for aught I know to the contrary. "'But there is such an enclosure of flesh and bone about it, that it is utterly impossible for one to see into it, and consequently to know whether one likes it or not. "'The heart, madam, in the sense, I mean,' said he, "'implies the soul, which being a spirit and invisible can only be known by its effects. If the whole services of mine may render it an oblation, such as may obtain a gracious reception from the amiable Miss Thoughtless, I shall bless the hour in which I first beheld her charms, as the most fortunate one I ever had to boast of. In ending these words he kissed her hand, with a look full of the greatest respect and tenderness. She then told him the services of the soul must needs be valuable, because they were sincere. But as she knew not of what nature those services were he intended to render her, he must excuse her for not too readily accepting him, on which is not to be doubted but that he assured her they should be only such as were dictated by the most pure affections, and accompanied by the strictest honour. He was going on with such protestations as may be imagined a man so much enamoured would make to the object of his wishes, when he was interrupted by Miss Flora, who came hastily into the room and told him that her mamma, hearing that he was in the house, expected he would not leave it without letting her have the pleasure of seeing him, that they were just going to tea, and that her ladyship entreated he would join the company with those friends she had already with her. Mr. Trueworth would have been glad to have found some plausible pretense for not complying with this invitation, but as he could not make any that would not be looked on as favouring of ill manners, and Miss Betsy insisted on his going, they all went together into the dining-room. The lover had now no further opportunity of prosecuting his suit in this visit, but he made another the next day, more early than before, and found no body but Mr. Goodman with Miss Betsy, either to buy something they wanted, or to tumble over goods, as they frequently did, merely for the sake of seeing new fashions. Mr. Trueworth, having never been seen by Mr. Goodman, Miss Betsy presented him to him with these words. "'Sir, this is a gentleman from Oxford, an intimate friend of Brother Frank's, who did me the favour to bring me a letter from him.' There needed no more to make Mr. Goodman know both who he was and the business on which he came. He received him with a great deal of good manners, but knowing his absence would be most agreeable after some few compliments, pretended he was called abroad by urgent business, and took his leave. 
how much it rejoiced the sincerely devoted heart of mr trueworth to find himself once more alone with the idol of his wishes may easily be conceived by those who have had any experience of the passion he so deeply felt but his felicity was of short continuance and he profited but little by the complaisance of mr goodman he was but just beginning to pour forth some part of those tender sentiments with which his soul overflowed, when he was prevented from proceeding by a second interruption, much more disagreeable than the former had been. Mr. Staple and Captain Hypham, for whom Miss Betsy had not left the same order she had done the day before, came both to visit her. The former had the advantage of being there somewhat sooner than the other, and accosted her with an air which made the enamoured heart of Mr. Trueworth immediately beat an alarm to jealousy. Mr. Staple, who had seen him there once before when he brought her brother's letter to her, did not presently know him for his rival, nor imagined he any other intent in his visits than to pay his compliments to the sister of his friend. They were all three engaged in a conversation which had nothing particular in it, when Miss Betsy was told Captain Hysom desired to speak with her, on which she bid the fellow desire him to walk in. "'He is in the back parlour, madam,' replied he. "'I told him you had company, so he desires you will come to him there, for he says he has great business with you, and must needs speak with you.' Both Miss Betsy and Mr. Staple laughed immoderately at this message. But Mr. Trueworth, who was not in on the secret, looked a little grave, as not knowing what to think of it. "'You would scarce believe, sir,' said Mr. Staple to him, "'that this embassy came from the court of Cupid. Yet I assure you the captain is one of this lady's most passionate admirers.' "'Yes, indeed,' added Miss Betsy, "'and threatens terrible things to every one who should dare to dispute the conquest of my heart with him. But go.' continued she, to the footman. Tell him, I have friends with me whom I cannot be so rude to leave, and that I insist on him giving us his company in this room. The captain on this was prevailed upon to come in, though not very well pleased at finding himself obliged to do so by the positive commands of his mistress. He paid his respects, however, in his blunt manner to the gentleman as well as Miss Betsy, and having drawn his chair as near her as he could, "'I hoped, madam,' said he, "'you would have found an opportunity of speaking to me before now. "'You must needs think I am a little uneasy till I know what I have to depend upon.' "'Bless me, sir,' cried she, "'you talk in an odd manner.' And then, continued she, pointing to Mr. Trueworth, "'this gentleman here, who is a friend of my brother's, will think I have outrun my income, and that you come to dun me for money borrowed of you. No, no, answered he, as to that you owe me nothing but good will, and that I think I deserve for the respect I have for you, if it were for nothing else. But, madam, I should be glad to know some answer to the business I wrote you upon. Lord, sir, replied she, I have not yet had time to think upon it, much less to resolve on anything. That is strange, resumed he, why you have had three days, and sure that is long enough to think, and resolve, too, on anything. Not for me, indeed, Captain, answered she, laughing. But come, here are just four of us. What think you, gentlemen, of a game of quadrille to kill time? 
Mr. Trueworth and Mr. Staple told her at once, and they approved the motion, and she was just going to call for cards and fishes, when the captain stopped her, saying, "'I never loved to play in my life, and have no time to kill, as mayhap these gentlemen have, who, tis likely, have nothing else to do than to dress and visit. I have a great deal of business upon my hands. The ship is taking in her landing, and I do not know, but we may sail in six or seven days. So must desire you would fix a day for us to be alone together, that I may know at once what it is you design to do.' "'Fie, Captain,' replied she, "'how can you think of such a thing?' "'I assure you, sir,' added she, with an affected disdain, "'I never make appointments with gentlemen.' "'That I believe,' said he, "'but you should consider that I live a great way off. "'Tis a long walk from Mile End to St. James, "'and I hate your jolting hackney coaches. "'Besides, I may come and come again "'and never be able to get a word with you in private in an afternoon, "'and all the morning I am engaged either at the India House or at Change.' Therefore I should think it is better for both of us not to stand shilly-shally, but come to the point at once. For looky, fair lady, if we happen to agree there will be little enough time to settle everything, as I am obliged to go so soon. Too little, in my opinion, sir, answered she. Therefore I think it best to defer talking any more of the matter till you come back. Come back, cried he. Why do you consider I shall be gone three years? "'Really, sir,' said she, "'as I told you before, I have never considered anything about it, nor can promise I shall be able to say any more to you at the end of twice the time you mention, than I can do at present, which I assure you is just nothing at all.' Though both Mr. Trueworth and Mr. Staple had too much good manners to do anything that might affront the captain, yet neither of them could refrain their laughter so well as to prevent some marks of the inclination they had for it, from being visible on their faces, and willing to contribute something on their parts to the diversion they perceived she gave herself, with a lover so every way unsuitable to her, one told her it was a great pity she did not consult the captain's convenience. The other said that it must needs be a vast fatigue for a gentleman who is accustomed only to walk the quarter-deck, to take a stretch of four miles at once. "'And all to no purpose,' cried he that had spoken first. "'Pray, madam, give him his dispatch.' As little acquainted as the captain was with raillery, he had understanding enough to make him see that Miss Betsy's behaviour to him had rendered him the jest of all the company that visited her, and this he took so ill that all the liking he before had to her was now turned into contempt. Finding they were going on in the ironical way they had begun— "'Look ye, gentlemen,' said he, with a pretty stern countenance, "'I would advise you to meddle only with such things as concern yourselves. "'You have nothing to do with me, nor I with you. "'If your errand here be as I suspect it is, "'there sits one who, I dare answer, will find you employment enough, "'as long as you shall think it worth your while to dance attendance. "'As for you, madam,' continued he, turning to Miss Betsy, I think it would have become you as well to have given me a more civil answer. If you did not approve of my proposals, you might have told me so at first. But I shall trouble neither you nor myself any further about the matter. I see how it is well enough, and when next I steer for the coast of matrimony shall take care to look out for a port not cumbered with rubbish. So your servant. 
As he was going out of the house he met Lady Mellison and Miss Flora just entering, being returned from the ramble above mentioned. They saw he was very angry, and would fain have persuaded him to turn back, telling him that if any misunderstanding had happened between him and Miss Betsy, they would endeavour to make it up and reconcile them. To which he replied that he thanked them for their love, but he had done with Miss Betsy for good and all, and that she was no more than a young flirt and did not know how to use a gentleman handsomely. Said he should be glad to take a bowl of punch with Mr. Goodman before he went on his voyage, but would not come any more to this house to be scoffed at by Miss Betsy and those that came after her. Miss Flora told him that it was unjust in him to deprive her mamma and herself of the pleasure of his good company for the fault of Miss Betsy, who, she said, she could not help owing was of a very giddy temper. Lady Mellison, to what her daughter had said, added many obliging things in order to prevail on him either to return or renew his visits hereafter. But the captain was obstinate, and, persisting in his resolution of coming there no more, took his leave, and Miss Flora lost all hope of receiving any benefit from his being rejected by Miss Betsy. End of chapter 18, reading by Joyce Martin.